When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show, where college football playoff contenders earn the right to be discussed and where the playoff never ends. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Hey guys, welcome again to the College Football Playoff Show. It's Doug and Shahan. This week, should Georgia join the College Football Playoff discussion? We do it every week. We invite a team, we discuss them, then we vote. I get a vote. Shahan gets a vote. Our tech subscribers get a vote. Should this team permanently join the discussion? And up until they might get kicked out during the regular season. Then the second half, we take all the contenders that we have and we rank them in a specific part of college football this week, defense. Overall defense, and again, the contenders we have so far. We started off with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. We added Texas A&M. We added Iowa State. We tried to add USC, and they got the boot. They didn't make it in. This week, Georgia, we start off with a pro and con, one-minute argument why a team should or shouldn't be invited. For, you know, it's a prize and privilege. Shahad, you and I don't just spend our time. We don't waste time. We are we are very busy people. You must earn the right to be to come out of our, you know, the words of our mouths and have things that are said about you. So you are arguing, yes, Georgia should join our college football playoff discussion on the college football playoff show. Why, Counselor Shahad? Over the past several years, there have been only a handful of teams that have recruited at a super elite level. Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia's one of those teams. Now, they haven't gotten over the top because they play in the SEC and they play against Alabama, but we talk so much in college football about quarterbacks. Well, it's time Georgia finally has their quarterback in JT Daniels. They have a dynamic offense that really started to find its sea legs at the end of last season. And they've got the consistent defense match. They've been consistently one of the best defenses in college football over the past five years. Everything is about to come together, and it doesn't hurt that those top three teams that we always talk about, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, all replacing very key contributors. Georgia, this is their moment. They're going to be playing in the college football playoff this year. So, Shahan, on on the other side of things, I I like it. I like it when you're basing your argument on recruiting rankings because I know you don't even believe what you're saying. I know you don't really think it. You're like, well, I guess they have a lot of five stars, even though they haven't ever really done anything with them. Now, that's not fair. They've done something with them. But do they belong here? 
talent-wise they do, but where's the proof on the field? Because as long as you are in a conference with Alabama, I need some idea that you can hang, not just hang, but really have a chance to beat Alabama. Otherwise, you're just a pretender. You're just in the shadows, right? You're just setting yourself up to reach the SEC championship game, lose, and then not make it. And we've seen that show before. So, Shahan, I don't know that people want to get out ahead of this anymore. I think people have been out ahead of Georgia, waiting for Georgia to catch up to expectations. But there have been two teams that have dominated college football in this era. Georgia is opening the season with one. And uh, for their sake, hopefully, right, concluding their season with the other in the SEC championship game against Alabama. You've got to win at least one and maybe both of those games to be in the playoff. So, like, I'm not so sure that we want to spend our time talking about a team that is playing the two dominant powers for a right to get into this thing and has not shown us anything really other than recruiting rankings in the seven-year era of the playoff. Those are our opening statements. Now we're going to dive in deeper on Georgia and figure out, was one of us lying? And again, we don't always, the structure of the podcast opens maybe with a lie. But again, I mean, we love people lie all the time. We're lying for ratings. That's a good reason. (laughs) That's a great reason to lie. No, no, we don't. We don't say anything on this podcast we don't believe except in that one-minute opening because we want to establish the parameters, Shahan, of people who would think those things. What's case number one and what's case number two? And I do think those are the two cases with Georgia. Are they not? We did kind of lay out what the deal is with these guys. I think that people who have listened to the show the last couple of weeks are probably amused because we kind of gave the opposite arguments of probably what we would have normally given. Uh, you know, me going with the stars thing, you going with the with the schedule, prove it on the field thing. Uh, but seriously, I mean, I, I think that those are the arguments, right? They have a clear, uh, you know, we're going to talk about roadblocks, right? They have a clear roadblock and they have clear advantages. I, I think that maybe as much as any team that's not in that top four group, they are obvious to us. We know what we're going to get and we're hoping to maybe get a little bit more. And uh, this might be the year that they do it. So I have two theories about Georgia as they relate to trying to evaluate them. One is on the defensive side of the ball and one is on the offensive side of the ball. And we will, you know what? I'm going to, like I said, I don't want, I don't want to hide the theories. Let's just get to it right off the top. Cause we're still trying to suck people in. It's like five minutes in. Do I like this show here? Here are my two theories. Okay. One is the ghost of Justin Fields. And we know that Georgia needs quarterback play, right? If they're going to do this. And for the last two years, Every Saturday, they could do what they do, and their fans could watch what Georgia does, and then they could go check on how the guy they had and lost was doing at Ohio State. They wouldn't have him anymore. He's in the NFL. Good people are saying good things at Chicago Bears camp, but the shadow, the ghost is gone because no matter what Georgia did, Justin Fields wasn't going to be on their team this year. And now this is the first time where what actually happened might work to their advantage because they had Justin Fields, they lost him. If they would have kept him for the last two years, he would have gone to the NFL. They would have been get they would have been in the exact same spot that Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama are in right now, which is like breaking in a highly rated high school recruit who's never played before because they just would have lost Justin Fields. Instead, 
They are playing JT Daniels, who played the last month last year, was a real dude at USC, looks like a real dude, and for the first time, one of the great losses in Georgia football is to their advantage. I think there's something psychological to that, and there's the on-field thing of, I think JT Daniels is one of the better quarterbacks among the contenders. That's one thing. The second theory relates to their defense. I got stats because I stayed up till four in the morning looking stuff up for the show. Is it because I'm dedicated or is it because I'm a procrastinator? Do I want do you want to hear my procrastination story real quick? Uh, please do. Sixth grade, you've got to do 12 book reports for the course of sixth grade. But at a minimum, you have to do two per quarter, right? So first quarter, I do two. Second quarter, I do two. Third quarter, I do two, which means in the fourth quarter of the year, I have to do six. (laughs) It is the last day. It is the last day before they're due. I am still reading multiple books that I have not read yet. (laughs) I make a deal with God. I make a deal with God to say, please let me pass sixth grade and I will become like a minister or I will serve you for the rest of my life. Dear God, it is three o'clock in the morning. I am still reading like the fourth book. and I have to write six book reports. And here I am today. I graduated. I passed sixth grade. I, it was, I blacked out. I don't even know what happened, but I, <laughs> I'm a podcast host, so yeah, I'm I, I don't sorry. Know. You didn't keep up your deal with God. I don't know about all that. I know. I, so that is a, I don't know that, again, I'm, uh, I'm, that's not a great story to tell, perhaps, but so procrastination is in my bones. I did not make any deals with God when I was watching film and looking up stats at four o'clock in the morning last night, but I passed sixth grade and I got you stat, Shahad. Against Alabama and Florida last year, okay? These were the stats of the Georgia quarterbacks in those games, okay? 27 of 69 for 381 yards, four touchdowns, six interceptions. That's the Georgia quarterback play. Here are the stats for the Alabama and Florida quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask in those games. 54 of 75, 891 yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. Passing yards in those games, 891 to 381. They threw for 510 more yards in those in the two biggest games that Georgia played last year. In the first game, they got, in the Alabama game, they got waddled and smithed, right? I mean, we all know what that looks like, but um, they each had like 160 yards receiving Smith and Waddle in that game. That was Waddles was still doing his thing. It absolutely tore them apart, okay? And in the Florida game, they actually they're they're playing Kyle Pitts fourth pick in the draft and Kadarius Tony first round receiver. They actually Smith by the way one sixty seven Waddle one sixty one in that game. Pitts they actually kept under control a little bit, but they're playing two first round talents. They give up ten receptions for two hundred and twelve yards to the running backs. I've never seen a team cover a wheel route less effectively than what Georgia get against Florida, and I assume it was because every snap. They were planning to triple team Kyle Pitts. And they're like, who's got the back? Who's got the back? And they're like, nobody's got the back. And Kirby Smart said afterward, if we could have covered a wheel route, we might've been able to hang. Here's my point on that. They face two extremes of offenses. 
Jones, Smith, Waddle, and plus Najee Harris for Alabama. Pitts, Tony, and Trask for Florida. And they got blown off the field. And I think it perhaps it gives us an incorrect view of what this Georgia defense actually is. We know they're good at stopping the run. They're not going to face offenses like that in the SEC or anywhere else this year. Show me Kyle Pitts. Show me a, a Smith and Waddle combo, right? I think we know Georgia has some talent, Shahan, but I think they got so outplayed at the quarterback position when it mattered, and then their defense got roasted by two rare offenses. I think so much has changed with the context around Georgia that directly affects Georgia. I think people, for all their talent, might be set up to underestimate them because they got sort of caught in a hurricane of offensive explosiveness a year ago that they're not going to have to quite deal with this year. And for people who don't know, in those games, right, JT Daniels was not starting those games. That was Stephen Bennett, right? And so I think that we saw in the last four games that Georgia played, when JT Daniels came into the game, they were 4-0, first of all. They dropped 31-45-49, and then they played Cincinnati, who was a top-five defense. We'll probably talk about them later. They, they scored 24 on them, right? Which, I mean, and so they looked different, as yep. soon as JT Daniels took over. It just opened up their game. It allowed their receivers to thrive. Because that's that's been one of the things for so many years at this point is, oh, well, they're getting these receiver recruits, but none of them are getting the ball, right? Like, Jake Fromm was fine, but they had a quarterback at the end of last year with a system uh, with uh, with Todd Monken. That's right, Monken, right? Yeah, yep. Todd Monken. <laughs> Makes it my Monken sometimes. Uh, you know, as, as offensive coordinator. <laughs> as we all do, as we all do. <laughs> Todd Monken taking over as offensive coordinator. I think we got to see that dynamism come out. We got to see that protection come out. We got to see those playmakers come out. And on top of that, it did make things easier for their running backs who usually are are just having to run through those tight holes, right? And so I think that offensively, there's a lot of reasons for optimism with this team. I, I think that they did start to show the vision. They just didn't have the personal quarterback to do it to start. And defensively, yeah, I mean, those two games happened, right? I mean, when you've got a quarterback like Stetson Bennett, no, no disrespect if you're if you're listening, Stetson Bennett, but you know, I think that we can all agree he didn't get it done. Uh, now, listen, I have I had I have to interrupt here because I have disrespected Stetson Bennett a lot on other podcasts. <laughs> I do an impression of him. Oh dear, that is, uh, I don't even say his name right. I just, I push back against like the whole like walk-on storyline of like, I'm a walk-on. I'm at, I'm playing for one of the best five teams in the country and I'm a walk-on. And I'm like, that's not a great story. Like it's not going to work. So I like got, I was way out on that early and I have to be honest to our listeners. And again, I'm expanding my national college football knowledge, but I might pretend that I'm step the ball net and talk like this. And that, that's not fair. That's not fair. But <laughs> that I pushed back whenever anybody was like, oh, Georgia, what an inspirational story. It's like, I'm going to lead Georgia to the promised land. And I was like, no, you're not. It's not his fault. But the idea that like that was Georgia's quarterback answer for whatever little slice that was is like, what are you doing? And I get it. Jamie Newman was a transfer and then it didn't work out. It was a crazy year. We know why it happened, but it was never going to work. And it just took them that long to get to JT Daniels. But man, like it is, I don't think you even count the Georgia season in your evaluation because it permeates everything. 
Right. Your defense, all I think, is taking risks because they know they've got to get turnovers. Because if you're playing, can we march 80 yards versus can the other team march 80 yards and the other team has Kyle Trask and you have this, <laughs> it, it's not going to happen and it affects right. you. And so it's not about the guy. It's about the situation Georgia put him in. And they were trying to win with that. And it was never going to work. And JT Daniels just completely changes everything. But I wanted to be clear. I have disrespect. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and I think that something that a lot of people do when it comes to looking at teams is that they are lazy and they're just like, well, just, you know, once they get the, you know, if once you get Trevor Lawrence, everything's going to change once you get, you know, whoever. But like, this is truly a situation where you have been waiting. You have been looking. You've been because again, Jake Fromm was very much a game manager, and and that was enough for a time. But then you you know if you get a guy like JT Daniels who, who really can take the top off of your offense, who can raise mm-hmm. the ceiling of your offense, I think it changes your team. And defensively, we talk about Alabama defensively. We talk about Clemson defensively. Georgia has been as good defensively year over year over year as any team in the country. You cannot run the ball against them. Uh, the big thing that I think you need to worry about is that they are replacing two cornerbacks, but they kind of address that by adding Tyke Smith, who's one of the best slot corners in the country from West Virginia, and then by adding uh, the the kid from Clemson who was a starter. Uh, and so you have... Darion Kendrick, right? Yes, Darion Kendrick, that's right. And so you've got some options there. You also have a former top five national recruit who's going to be competing for a starting job there. Like, there are pieces everywhere on this team. I, I think that you look at every position... And you feel okay about it. Now, again, it's going to come down to whether that quarterback position can be not just okay, but can be dynamic in terms of whether they can compete for a national championship. But this, in a lot of ways, I think, is the team that Kirby Smart has been waiting for. You look at the recruiting rankings, and we're always going to look at them some. Number one class in 2018, that's the fourth-year guys. Number two class in 2019, that's the second-year guys. That's the third-year guys, right? So your fourth-year guys and your third-year guys, you're as good as anybody. Um and they do, they lost a lot on defense by Bill Connolly's, I think, uh, returning production metric for ESPN um, among defenses. They are 126th in the country in returning defensive production, but they have a lot of dudes ready to fill in. And so let's get to our first thing the categories we kind of look at, at at teams, can they compete for a national title? Like, are they not only a playoff contender, which is what we're concerned with. If the answer is no, you can't compete for a national title. It doesn't mean you can't be in the discussion, but it helps frames it. I, I mean, yes, I think they can, right? Because the talent level is so there. The skill guys are there. The George Pickens injury is big. Tore his ACL in the spring. Coming back, Kirby Smart at SEC Media Days said he's working his way back. Like, it sounds like they're trying to be hopeful. I don't know that you can count on much of anything. I mean, just with an injury like that, is that maybe going to be more like a playoff surprise or something or really late in the year? That guy's one of the best receivers in the country, and that hurts. But they have a lot of skill at the skill position, so it, it doesn't completely ruin them. So I just think, like, can they win the national title? I mean, Shahan, they have as much talent as anybody. They have as much talent as any team in the country, including Bama, so yeah, to, if, it's just about pulling it together. But sure, they could win the national title, in my opinion. I can put it concisely. The criticism of Kirby Smart is that after all these years, he has still not won the ultimate prize. 
If you are a program that is in that position, and if you are a coach who's consistently in that position, that means that not only can you win the national championship, it's fair to ask, should you win the national championship? Yeah, like this is this is all that's left. And, and like you said, it feels like maybe it's building to this, right? That this is this is like once they got Daniels in, and that was a little bit of a sideways road to make that happen. It, it feels like this is what it's targeted toward. And again, it helps them that the context is they have a more experienced quarterback than anybody else that they're competing with for a title other than Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma. So that's really in their favor. The second thing we talk about is what's their big roadblock. And I think, I mean, it's the same. Is it not the same roadblock we talked about for Texas A&M, which is like, what do you do with the greatest program and the greatest coach in college football when you've got to play them? Probably. Now, Texas A&M has to play them because they're on the regular season schedule. Georgia's looking at an SEC championship game and maybe Texas A&M beats Alabama and the SEC championship game is Georgia and Texas A&M and Georgia doesn't have to deal with it, which actually might even be appropriate. It's not that you would, you don't back into anything in the SEC, but like if Georgia somehow wins the national title without ever having to play Bama, I think Bama would be like, oh, ho, ho, ho. you may have won a national title, but you still can't beat us. But that looms, does it not? Clemson in week one, Alabama potentially at the end. That that That's the roadblock, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I mean, you mentioned it off the top, but you might have to win both those games to know for certain that you're going to play in the college football playoff. Now, if you go 12-1 and one and you lose in the SC title game, but you beat Clemson, right? That's going to still put you in a good position to be in. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned having to potentially beat the greatest coach in the history of college football to, to win the SEC. Well, you're going to have to beat a top 20 all-time coach to start the year, you know, in Dabo Sweeney. You know, he's going to be in that conversation when his career is over. Like, these are the two signature programs in college football over the last decade, right? And and so to have to play both of them, to have to beat potentially both of them, I mean, it's, it's obvious. That's the roadblock. And they haven't beaten Bama. Right. They haven't beaten Bama since 2007. They're 0-6 since then. And they've played them tight man right i mean they've played them i mean you know they played them in the in the national championship to a three-point game they played them to a touchdown game in the sec championship the next year in 2012 they played them to a touchdown game in the sec championship like they've played them tight but like they have not done it like even even once in this in this era that really matters for for bama football so that that really looms and I, like i just think the world where georgia could win a national championship without having to beat Bama, right? Whether that's a 12-team world and you hope someone else beats it, knocks out Bama on the way there, or whether Texas A&M does it or something happens. I'm not so sure I wouldn't pick them to win. If I knew Bama didn't exist, right? I Here's why I am on Georgia. I think it's possible Georgia's better than Alabama this year. But man, like... Can you pick it before you see it? And I do think we, you, we know the deal. Saban's never lost to one of his assistants. It's hard to believe in Kirby Smart sort of in that matchup until he does it, which isn't fair. And I don't kind of like that thing about sports. And it's like, you know, at some time you got to say, well, I think it's going to happen now. I really do. Because you nothing happens until it happens. I can't be your only measure of analysis. Well, it hasn't happened yet. It's like, okay, well then. Just we'll get back to you after the fact. There's no reason to talk to you beforehand. 
But I don't know how real that is for Kirby Smart trying to take down Nick Saban, having worked for him for as long as he did. This is kind of a weird comparison, but you know, you kind of need Kirby Smart to have his 2019 Ed Orgeron moment, right? You kind of need him to have that moment where all of these things are put aside, where the development happens, where the quarterback play happens, where the offense actually changes, where the dynamism actually happens. And if that happens, right? Because because certainly I think all of us know that eventually, in, in my opinion at least, it's going to happen. At some point, it's going to happen. Eventually, somebody who's a Nick Saban assistant is going to beat Nick Saban. <laughs> at some point, it's going to happen. Um, you know, but I, I think that... I think that with all of that said, I mean, heading into this year, you are, if you're Georgia, you are playing with an advantage, right? Because Alabama lost basically every contributor on the greatest offense in the history of college football. You know, and so you don't have to worry about that. And if you're Georgia, I mean, your strength has been year after year in the front seven and on the offensive line. You just keep rolling guys through, right? And, And so the pieces are there. The recruiting is there. The coaching even is totally there, all right? Like, that has not been the issue. And so, yes, you don't assume that somebody beats Alabama until they walk off the field after beating Alabama. But the one other thing that I'll say, too, Alabama has not won back-to-back national championships under Nick Saban. It is really hard. It is really, really hard. Or, uh, that's right, yeah, yeah. They have not won back was 11-12? I guess 11 and 12, they won back to back, but it's been Nick's coming for you. Nick is coming for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Don't, are you <laughs> put some respect on that name right. in man. the playoff era? In the playoff era, they, the have, playoff not, era. they have not won back to back national championships. It's really hard. It, like, it's really hard to do. And so this feels like a transitional team for Nick Saban. So that's why I kind of said it off the top. This has to be your moment if you're Georgia. You have advantages over Alabama in terms of what you bring back at quarterback, what you bring back at coordinators. And so it has to happen. If it's going to happen, I think that this is one of the best years that's going to happen. All right. So the last thing we ask, what's your level of confidence in your belief? We're not revealing it yet. High, medium, low. What you think about Georgia, should they be in the conversation? What's your level of confidence, Sean? My confidence level is high. Uh, I think that heading into this this conversation, it was, the the factors were obvious to me, right? That's the biggest thing that you say about it, is that it is a very clear argument for or against. So for me, the argument is high. Mine's high too. Let's get to the vote. Shahan, should Georgia join our list of contenders to be discussed on the college football playoff show? If you are a team that exp- that we talk about as being a team that can win a national championship, if you are a team that we talk about as the potential to be the best team in college football, you deserve to be in the conversation. So yes, my vote is yes, that Georgia gets to be in the conversation. I'm very excited to see this matchup in week one with Clemson and Georgia. I think they both could get in. Like, it's not a knockout game, but it is a it removes the wiggle room for the loser. And I think it sets a tone. And I think Clemson has been through it enough that they could absorb something and move on. I, I think Georgia needs this. I think, like... You know, they played the tight bowl game. It's one of those things, again, with with Cincinnati and, and that the way we view them. It's like, wow, like awesome. Cincinnati 
like hung with Georgia the whole game and Georgia had to pull out the end. It's like, all right, well, they still lost. Like, if you want to be, what are we doing? Are we doing style points for the underdogs? Or are we just doing like, all right, if you're going to be in the big boys, who won the game? Georgia beat Cincinnati, and Cincinnati was good last year. Some people thought Cincinnati should be in the playoff, and Georgia beat them. Yes, Georgia should be in. It feels like their year. The quarterback situation, I have a little wrinkle that I want to talk about when we get to the defense. But I will tell you our texters, Shahan, and we'd like to get more texters voting on this. I think we could have gotten maybe a million people voting. We don't have a million voters yet. Unanimous. Mm. Unanimous. <laughs> yes. Not a single person said, no, 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 don't talk about Georgia. And I think it's because they're practically in the default group, right? As we talked about, they're practically in that default group. They're barely not but they're clearly at the top of the pack of the next group and all the talent is there. So Georgia, welcome to the college football playoff show discussion. We have now grown our pack. We added Texas A&M. We added Iowa state. Now we've added Georgia to those big four. That means we have seven teams to rank. That's where we are. I, I had a, I argued fake. It's like, oh, no, Doug's going to say, don't put George in. I mean, if we all knew it, right? I tried to fake it. I can lie. I can lie. But there's really no argument against it. And now a little bonus. We're going to talk a little more Georgia football with someone who knows the dogs very well on the college football playoff show. Happy to be joined on the College Football Playoff Show by Brandon Adams, the host of Dog Nation Daily. That's daily. That's talking George Bulldogs all the time. So if you're listening to this podcast for like national context, but you think, hmm, I'd like to know more about Georgia because I think they're going to be good, Dog Nation Daily is the place to go. We're going to get a little more Georgia expertise. Shahan, what do you have for Brandon? To start things off, uh, obviously, George Pickens suffering an injury. What's kind of the state of that wide receiver room right now? And also, how does Eric Gilbert kind of factor into that? Well, on paper, this is probably the deepest wide receiver core that Kirby Smart's had since he's been coached since 2016, even with the George Pickens injury. And that's also probably before you get to Eric Gilbert and what his involvement is going to be there as well. You know, Georgia went from 2009 until the 2019 class without signing a receiver, believe it or not, because it had so much recruiting success in other places, without signing a receiver ranked in the top 10 nationally at its position. And since then, 2019 and then the 2021 class there as well, and was actually signed a total of four top 10 receivers since then. So someone who knows uh, now the one of those guys have been hurt. George Pickens well is injured. Dominic Blaylock is injured. Marcus show. Roseby Jackson is coming back from injury. So some of those elite recruits have been injured. But in terms of recruiting success, Georgia's actually had a little more of that recently than they have. It's still the most unproven position on this team, though. You know, the fact that a guy like Eric Gilbert could come over from LSU, where he did, you know, do some fairly interesting things last year as a freshman. The fact that he has a chance to be such a big part of the Georgia offense this season, I think is somewhat proof of that. That, you know, as Georgia goes this season, the wide receiver core will, one way or another, propel that to happen. It's been the weakest position group since Mart's been head coach. And obviously, there's, there's a lot of hope amongst fans this year. That's maybe finally going to change but obviously it's very very hard to be as good as oklahoma or ohio state alabama the best programs in the country from receiving standpoint it's just going to still be very difficult for georgia to match as prolific as some of those offenses have been brandon from afar it feels like this is an opportunity for georgia 
you know, the, the Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama are all breaking in new quarterbacks. Georgia has an experienced quarterback returning. We know Georgia's been good. Is the fan base viewing it like that? Does this feel different? The expectations, what people are thinking about here in August, is it different than the last several years? Or is it pretty similar of like, you know, you know Georgia's going to be good and we'll see what happens. Or does this, does this, do people think like this is Georgia's year? I think there's some apprehensiveness uh, a bit, uh, if I'm using that word correctly, in that, look, Georgia has been so commonly predicted near the top of the SEC, but also just below Alabama. There's a lot of, you know, predictions, once again, that kind of have Georgia in that spot. You know, in the comparison to Alabama, which is the most common one because that's the team in the SEC, you know, the last three times Georgia's played Alabama, Georgia's had the lead at the half, seemingly been close to winning the game but ultimately it kind of fizzles out in the second half. Even the national championship game in 2017 and the SEC championship in 2018, games that Georgia for the most part played pretty well in, they didn't score any points in either of the second halves of those two games, and that's a reason why that lead slipped away. And obviously what happened last uh, fall in Tuscaloosa kind of also goes down there as well. So I don't think that Georgia fans are as robustly bullish on this team as maybe some people may outside of UGA fan circles might think, just because – They've kind of seen Georgia be in this spot before. One thing that Georgia does potentially have going for it this year, though, that is maybe a little bit different in the past, and you make the comparison to other programs that are making changes at quarterback, Georgia also brings Todd Munkin back as offensive coordinator. And I think that can be a big deal for UGA. You know, fans are always the quickest to criticize play calling, maybe more so than anything else. And last season, even in, in an imperfect year for the Georgia offense, I don't think you saw a lot of fan criticism of Munkin. I think for the most part, folks thought Munkin was calling a pretty good game, just maybe not always with the offensive pieces that he needed to make that successful. So if you're thinking about the possibility of a really good year for JT Daniels, I think one of the things that you think about in concert with that is the fact that Todd Munkin comes back and has a chance to be the best coordinator that Kirby Smart has had at UGA. And if you're wanting to be as optimistic as possible with the Georgia offense, I think you probably zero in on Munkin maybe as quickly as you do anything. Last one from me. What is that last step at Georgia, right? We've seen the recruiting. It's been top five every year. We've seen, I mean, Jake Fromm was a good quarterback, maybe not great, but good defensively. They've been top five every year. What is it? What is that last step that we need to see? Well, the one thing that I will bring up as far as Georgia having been close and not getting there, you know, a lot of people look at that as Kirby Smart maybe being a little stubborn, that he's been slow to evolve the way the rest of the sport has. But if you look at how close they came in 2017 and 2018, if you care about like analytics at all, in 2016, Kirby Smart's first year, Georgia was 69th in the country, ESPN offensive FPI. By the following year, they had jumped all the way to the top 10. And then in 2018, they jumped, I think it's top five, but you know, even higher in the top 10, if nothing else. So smart doing things the way that he had done them actually caused a fairly positive transformation for Georgia from 16 to 17 to 18. And then the sport just kind of exploded around him after that. You know, Joe Burrow threw 60 touchdown passes in 2019. Uh, Alabama averaged nearly 50 points a game last season and Georgia's just had a really hard time keeping up with that I think one of the things that you kind of see internally is there has been a philosophical evolution at Georgia where I think Kirby on the basis of how he's talked and some of the decisions that he's made is clearly a little more comfortable with an explosive offense the idea of that the risks that you have to take to get there I think there is some evidence to say he's a little bit more comfortable with that than he maybe would have been in the past 
But even if you're willing to make those changes, it's still not easy to go out there and do what LSU did in 2019, what Alabama did in 2020. Really, even Clemson in 2018 was a little bit of an offensive explosion in comparison to when Georgia was in the playoff in 2017. Clemson averaged like 42 points a game in 2018. So the issue is what it has taken to win a national championship the last few years has required such an explosive offense, and Georgia just frankly hasn't had the manpower to be able to get that done. There is certainly some thought that this offense will be better, and I think the flip side of that coin is, can you still see the offensive explosion in other programs continue unabated, or is there maybe a little bit of a regression back towards the mean here a little bit this year, at least in the SEC, where Alabama's got a new quarterback, got a new coordinator, there doesn't seem to be like an LSU obviously weighing the wings the way that you know there might have been a couple of years ago, that maybe a little more offense, maybe Georgia can get into the 40s in terms of points per game, and maybe what the best teams around them are doing, maybe it's not quite as prolific as it has been. That, to me, seems about as close as you can come to a to a national championship formula. A little better on offense, and hopefully you don't see somebody go out there and do what Joe Burrow did a couple of years ago. He's Brandon Adams. He's the host of Dog Nation Daily. Get your daily dose of the Georgia Bulldogs. Brandon, thank you for joining us here on the College Football Playoff Show. Always a great pleasure, and you guys, uh, certainly a fun conversation. Okay. Time to rank the best defenses, and we'll get to that on the College Football Playoff Show. Doug and Shahan back to rank the contenders that now include Georgia. So, Shahan, as we get deeper into these rankings, we're going to be able to spend a little less time on every team because we have more teams to talk about. So we are up to seven teams that we are discussing. We are ranking them based on their overall defensive abilities. Again, the teams that we are ranking. Georgia, Iowa State, Texas A&M, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Clemson. I have my list of best defenses. You have your list of best defenses. Great controversy on the pod a week ago when my lowest-ranked team was your highest-ranked team. I'm not sure we'll have the same level of controversy this time around. Who's number seven on your list of best defenses among the contenders, Sean? So I'm very curious, actually, to see how your list looks. This was very, very difficult for me, to be quite honest. And I went into this at number seven. I think that there was an expected team. I looked further into it. And I surprised myself. So at number seven, I'm going with Ohio State. Ohio State last year ranked 75th in yard per play defense, gave up more than 400 yards per game, ranked number 43 in scoring defense, over 25 points per game. They're number 119 in returning production after being not very good last year. Uh, In passing defense, they were number 122 at 304 yards per game, including 664 yards against the two best quarterbacks that they played. And on top of that, they were good against the run, and they lost almost all of the players that made them good against the run. So to me, Ohio State, that is the biggest question mark on defense. I know everybody expected me to say Oklahoma. I get it. But this is not <laughs> this is not a couple of years ago, right? Things have changed. And Ohio State right now is my biggest question mark uh, on defense. I also have Ohio State 7. And it is one of those things where when you lose a lot from an underperforming defense, is that good or bad, <laughs> right? So they did lose a lot of returning production, but I'm not sure they would want that production back. They have three top 40 national recruits on the defensive line and an All-American as the other guys. So Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith at defensive end, they played last year. Zach Harrison is a guy that they have talked a lot about. Huge offseason. 
third year guy might be ready for the jump was a five star kind of in the mold of the Bosa brothers and Chase Young and has been good but not great so far. Their defensive line probably should be better. They have Teron Vincent as a top 20 national recruit, five-star guy sliding in as a probable starter defensive tackle. They have, they have a lot on the defensive line. Last year, they got close but didn't get home a lot. So they've got to get home more often and get more sacks. Linebackers, they lost everybody, lost their top four linebackers. They have a lot of veteran. They have like a bunch of fourth-year guys who have been blocked, who are trying to play. They've got to work that out. And then there's questions in the secondary, for sure. Like, Seven Banks is a good corner. Is he at the level of like the first-round corners that Ohio State normally produces? I think the jury's out. He's good. Is he great? They they have some young defensive backs, but they're still like a year away from a real leap. They had a little bit of a recruiting lull in the secondary that they're still fighting a little bit still this year. And then Kerry Combs, who's been a great position coach at Ohio State, is in his second year defensive coordinator. A lot of questions, I would say, from the Ohio State fan base about last year. I think mostly last year was a talent dip. I think they will be better. But there is not a Chase Young. There is not a Jeff Okuda. There's not a Ryan Shazier. That's right there, obvious. So I think you have to put him seventh. And I don't think they'll be number one on this list of defensive of defenses for playoff contenders by the end of the year, but they could be middle of the pack for sure. Like they have, they have a lot of good guys. They have more big time recruits than some of these other teams. They just haven't done it yet. So I completely agree with Ohio State seventh. Who you got sixth? The team that I think everybody expected us to say first, uh, Oklahoma. So I want to be clear about what this unit is, right? Because I, I think that I was, maybe it was the, uh, I, I glanced at the Apple podcast comments and somebody was like, why, I love the show, but why do you think Oklahoma's defense is good? Just because, why is the bar so low for them? Well, I just do want to look at what they were, right? They were the number 29 total defense in college football. They were number 26 in yards per play ahead of Texas A&M and Iowa State and more than half a yard per play ahead of Ohio State. Uh, in the bowl game, I, listen, Kyle Trask was without many of his best weapons, but they gave him absolute hell. The only game that he didn't throw multiple touchdowns in. Uh, and he had three interceptions and he didn't have more than one in the game uh, the rest of the year. They are very good at getting after the quarterback. Nick Benito is a name that you're going to want to know. He's an All-America type. Uh, and, and they're getting a lot better on that back end. So I get it. I get it. Oklahoma has years and years of negative defensive reputation that they're trying to get past, but they are a much improved defense. They're, they were top 30 unit last year. I think with improvement in the Big 12, they could fall a little below that top 30 mark in total defense, but this is still a very dynamic unit and, and one that I think is starting to become, you know, close to a plus when you look at this playoff conversation after being a huge negative after all these years. No Kyle Pitts against Florida. Which mattered a lot, of course. Which is, I, I that was a kind of the, the Oklahoma defense did show up there. Kyle Trask, as we said, Kyle Trask destroyed Georgia last year and did threw three picks against Oklahoma. And it's like, hey, context has to be taken into account. There, we all we all know that. Um, up front, they're really good, right? I mean, Nick Benito's going to get after the passer. Isaiah Thomas and Perion Winfrey are both first team All Big Twelve picks on the defensive line. Jalen Redman opted out last year. They might not, they have a great defensive tackle pairing with Redmond and Winfrey. That's like, that's real. And I believe in their, their front. Phil Steele, I can't recommend Phil Steele enough. His preseason magazine, go buy it if you haven't, has Oklahoma with the third best secondary. And I'm not sure why. 
I don't know who you believe in for sure in the Oklahoma secondary, and that's where my questions are. And that's sort of like, again, top-tier kind of questions are when they if they face great quarterbacks when it matters. Are they going to be able to do that? I almost ranked them fifth. And I will tease and say I have Iowa State fifth. But I did like a head-to-head comparison of Oklahoma versus Iowa State and how their defenses played the two times that Iowa State and Oklahoma played last year. By the way, if you start digging in too much to Iowa State and Oklahoma and their head-to-head battles last year, you will put Iowa State in the playoff ahead of Oklahoma, (laughs) which again is like I'm digging in more and more on this stuff. Brock Purdy in that second game just threw three horrible picks for Iowa State that Oklahoma didn't do anything to deserve. They didn't force anything. Horrible picks by Brock Purdy. Iowa State outgained them in both games. And Oklahoma's really helped by like the return game in those games. Like they lost, you know, Iowa State won one and then got down 17 nothing and 24 7 in the other and came back and probably should have won the second one. And it, to me, that was, there were some holes in that Oklahoma defense, like when Iowa State's trying to come back in that game. So I was down to Iowa State or Oklahoma. I like Oklahoma. I think. I think it's possible like Ohio State could pass Oklahoma, right? I think Ohio State has some more guys. Oklahoma has good players. Ohio State has some more guys. If they all hit, I think they can move past Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma is better than their reputation, is pretty good. I don't think they have a chance to be great, right? And so I think it's a credit to them that I almost put them fifth on this list, but I think in the end, it's probably going to be harder at the end of the year for them to be any higher than sixth or seventh, just based on the the talent that these other defenses have, but pretty decent, like pretty decent, not, it won't. I don't think the defense is, is at a level, even though they're sixth on this list, Shahan, I don't think Oklahoma's defense will absolutely stop Oklahoma from winning the national title. Is that a fair way to put it? Definitely. I, I think that's the biggest thing, right? I mean, you do have to grade these units, in terms of their impact on a curve, right? Like the reason that Oklahoma's in this conversation and why I think that they could be one of the favorites to to win a national title is because the defense is good enough. Like it's a good unit and they're dynamic and they turn the ball over and they get after the quarterback. But their offense is also just so good that it allows them to be okay with just being pretty good. And I think that they would certainly take pretty good. There are teams on this list that need to be carried mm-hmm. by their defense this year. Definitely. And o- Oklahoma is absolutely not that. Oklahoma's got the best quarterback. They probably have the best offensive line. They have great skill guys. And the defense just has to be good enough. So, like, if if you're – I hope the, – the, the main thing about this podcast, Shahan, is I hope that, like, if you're a fan of one team, you get the context of other right. teams. That, like, we're not going to be – as expert on Oklahoma as an Oklahoma podcast. So if you're an Oklahoma listener, you know more about Oklahoma, right? But maybe you don't know how they stack up. And so I think that the idea is like, they're sixth, but it's fine. Yeah. Some would, fine. Some would say they have the best running backs in, uh, in this group. Who knows? I, I don't know. I can't. I don't remember who would say that. I can't remember that. So yes, they're going to be an offense heavy. He had Oklahoma first in running backs. <laughs> I had Oklahoma sixth. They're going to be an offense, an offense carried team, but the, the the defense is probably good enough. Fifth, Shahan, who, who I have Iowa State fifth. Who do you have fifth? I saw a big gap between those last two teams and everybody else. I did not have Oklahoma particularly close to any of those teams. I don't have to stay way behind all those teams. And actually, Texas A&M fifth. Now, this is a top 
15 type unit, right? All these units ahead, I think, are legit elite units. The thing with Texas A&M, they have a tremendous front seven. DeMarvin Leal is that dude on the defensive line. He's going to be an All-American. He's going to be potentially a first-round NFL draft pick. And the other thing, too, is that they have a nice mix on the defensive line of young players who are great because you have him. McKinley Jackson is going to be a guy at defensive tackle who they're really high on and and think that he can replace Bobby Brown. And they've got some old guys in Jaden Peavy and Michael Clemens who are back for 50 years of eligibility. On the back end is a little more where my questions are. Uh, Miles Jones is back for a six-year of eligibility, and he's pretty good. I think he can be better than what he's been. Jalen Jones could be a star in the making. He's a former uh, like five-star type, and he has played like it early in his career. Damani Richardson was hurt last year at safety, so there is a path, certainly, where that unit becomes good. But that was my question mark. I think that they are going to be elite on the front end. I think they're going to be elite at stopping the run, I'm curious if they are, if they can become, if they can go from kind of fine to good defending the pass. That's going to be my big question about them. And and for me, when I look at, you mentioned you have, I would say fifth, of course, that's kind of the difference to me is I feel like I know that the floor is going to be a lot higher defending the pass for Iowa State than it is for Texas A&M. This is, a, this is, a, this is developing between us. You like certainty, I like uncertainty. Right, that I I feel like yes, I know what Iowa State is. I just think there's a couple more dudes on Texas A&M that feel like they're going to hit nine starters back. SP plus defensive ranking heading into this year from Bill Connolly at ESPN. Texas A&M eighth in the country, eighth in the country, fourth on this list. PFF rankings of the top ten defenses in the country going into this year. Texas A&M sixth in the country, fourth on this list. I leaned on that a little bit. I'm going to always, listen, I know Ohio State better than I know other teams. Shahan knows the teams in Texas better than he knows every team. You know, we know everybody and we're doing the context and I think we're providing different context than some other shows, the way we're directly comparing things. Listen to Shahan on Texas A&M, right? And sometimes I, I respect the fact that if you know a team really well, you know their flaws. Everybody knows their strengths. Only the people that know a team really well know their flaws I think there's room, more room to pop for Texas A&M. DeMarvin Leal's a beast. I just feel like Iowa State kind of is, they are what they are. And is that it just depends which side of that are you taking. So I have Iowa State fifth and I have Texas A&M fourth. You have Texas A&M fifth. Do you have Iowa State fourth? I do. Okay. So let's talk about Iowa State a little bit. Iowa State, they are 25th. And which is second on our list of contenders for most production back for uh, for a defense. They have a lot of guys back, and I think this is important. Again, the Ross, the, the basic stats sometimes, it, you're almost afraid to lean on them because like everyone's so in deep into the big stats. Uh, their first seven games last year, Iowa State averaged 26.7 points per game that they allowed. Their last five games last year, they gave up 14 points per game. And that's uh, that was Kansas State, Texas, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Oregon. So that's a little something to me. I think like holding Oklahoma, like Oklahoma that had kind of figured it out, they jump out to a 17-0 lead. They only score 10 points in the final three quarters against Iowa State. That defense locks it down, right? Showed me something. And now I'm just like, 
sort of leaning into you saying like, yeah, I know, Doug. That's why I have them higher than Texas A&M. They're, they're really good. They have a lot of veteran guys back, and they really showed it in the second half of last year. A lot of people are going to look at this group and say, well, where's the blue chips? Where's the, you know, they they don't have that, right? And we talked about that last week when we voted them on, right? When we voted them into this group. But the one thing that I'll say is that they, at every level of the defense, have a guy who's not just good, but to me, like, they have a guy at every level who could be an All-American. So Will McDonald's that guy on the defensive line. He had 10 and a half sacks last year playing off Jaquan Bailey. He's going to be even better this year, I think, with sort of a more consistent role. At linebacker, you've got Mike Rose, the preseason Big 12 Defense Player of the Year. And then on the back end, you've got Greg Eisworth the second, who we talked a little bit about last week, who's the first three-time all-first-team Big 12 player in the history of Iowa State. So, like, any one of these guys, in my opinion, could be an All-American. So we're not just talking about, like, oh, you know, some guy. I don't know if they're going to be NFL players. I don't, that doesn't really matter to me. But, like, these are not just guys who are nice for Iowa State. These are guys who are that good that are first-team All-Big 12, All-America types, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And you have one at every level, that is the thing that I like. And around them, they've got a lot of production back as well. I mean, they have some guys at linebacker that I really like. That really allows them to play versatile. You know, that's a big part of it, is that their defense, because they do play with an odd man front most of the time, you know, having linebackers that can kind of do a little bit of everything, I think, is a big deal. And we got to see that at the end of the year. And you mentioned those teams... These are teams that have talent advantages, right? Texas, Oklahoma, and Oregon. These are teams that recruit at a top 10 level. So the idea that, oh, well, they're just going to get awestruck by having to play against good receivers, like, they do that. That's something that they already have to do. Now, I'm not saying that it's enough to get them to beat Alabama, but this is not a unit that's just going to get exposed once they actually play talent. Their best games, or several of their best games, were playing against elite talent. And, And so for me... I just look at this defense and I see no holes. There are other defenses that I have ahead of them that maybe have a hole or two. And I just like maybe the upside of some of the units better. But this unit is the one on this list that I'm like, there is not a weakness on this defense. And I'm curious to see how they kind of deploy it, especially with, like you mentioned, I mean, so many of these guys back, I think it's 12 of the top 15 tacklers are back for Iowa State. So you are getting development on top of how good last year's defense was. I thought Ohio State was kind of clearly seven. I thought these three teams were fairly close in in, in the way I ranked them. Texas A&M, Iowa State, Oklahoma. And then these top three to me are just in a different world. Is that is that a fair way to tier this? I think so. To some degree? I think so, yeah. yes. So, who do you, so the three teams that are left are Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. Who do you have third, Shahan? This was very difficult because, like you mentioned, I mean, these are all three potentially elite defensive units. Uh, but I went with Georgia. So... They had the best per play defense out of these groups by a lot, by by quite a bit. And now they do lose a lot, like you mentioned. But one thing that Georgia's done really well is that they have, and it's because obviously they've recruited well, they have depth to kind of, and the other thing too is that they really, the way that they attack offenses, especially in their front seven, it is with numbers, right? It's not relying on a guy. It's not just waiting for one guy to create all the production, right? It, like, we see that in some defense. Like, I think a couple of years ago, uh, like, you, like you mentioned with Chase Young, right? Like, Chase Young, a lot of the defensive line production was based off of playing off of a great player. Well, with Georgia, it's always, like, coming at them from different angles. It's scheming them up correctly. It's attacking with linebackers. It's, it's attacking with defensive linemen. So, for me, I'm less worried about that because they have a lot of guys 
who have played and contributed and gotten after the passer. The big question with them is on the back end. They lose their two starting cornerbacks to the NFL draft and try to address it. Uh, like we mentioned, Darion Kendrick coming in from Clemson. Tyke Smith going to be a great slot corner for them. Uh, and, and then Kaylee Ringo was a top five player in the nation and played really well in his first season. So they've got guys, but I, I think that for me, they do lose more than most of those other top three defenses. And so that was certainly a, a contributing factor for me. Um, but but this is going to be an elite unit. And certainly if they compete for a national championship, this unit being this good is going to be a big part of the reason why. I also had them third. I think they could be one by the end of the year. They They lost so much. It's hard. Like their pass defense was kind of an issue last year. And their two corners went in the first round and the first pick in the second round. It's kind of like, what was the deal there, right. right? But again, you watch some of the stuff. They're getting killed by backs. They're getting killed by tight ends. It's not guys are getting yeah, – every now and then they get pitched or they get waddled or whatever. There's some blown coverages, right? It's more about like, man, I think you've got the dudes. One thing that I'm, I'm trying to figure out how it takes into account, Will Muschamp is with them as an analyst now. And Will Muschamp, I think, has proven once and for all he's not a head coach. But Will Muschamp like, is a good defensive mind. And you catch, this is like a Bama kind of move. You catch a guy like that on a rebound, he's making 300 grand to watch film, right? I think he can help them. Dan Lanning, their defensive coordinator, people like him, they upped him to 1.7 this year to keep him from going to Texas. I, th- I think, and Kirby's a defensive guy. So I think they have the guys you look. So they have Jordan Davis on the defensive line is a mountain, Unbelievable. You will there are not many defensive tackles like that. Could have gone to the NFL, stayed 6'6, 330. Unbelievable. You said Tyke Smith, such a big addition from West Virginia on the back end. Again, they're Darion Kendrick. They're they got a lot out of the portal. And we didn't talk about Eric Gilbert when we talked about Georgia the first time around. One of the best, maybe the best skill guy in the portal. You look in the portal, they got like three of the ben, 10 best portal moves were for Georgia. But defensively, they have if you know. Most of these guys are projected as starters. They're gonna, these are their probable four linebackers. Number 19 recruit in the country, number 31 recruit in the country, number one recruit in the country, number 18 recruit in the country. They're going to have eight like top 40 recruits in their classes on the field at the same time on defense. And like one of them who's not as Jordan Davis, who's like the biggest defensive tackle I've ever seen. And one of them and the other guys are like all ACC players who transferred in. The talent is oozing. It's oozing. And if it comes together, a guy like Nolan Smith, who was the number one recruit in the class of 2019, the number one overall guy, he's been fine. He hasn't been great. He's not their best guy. But like if he pops, right, they have a bunch of guys that if this hits, if it pops, it's going to be the best defense in the country, I think. You just can't go there now because there's too many questions. But there's all that potential. And for all the things that Georgia has not been, what they typically have been in the Kirby Smart era is a pretty darn good defensive team, especially stopping the run. So I just think there is, they can't be lower than third, but I almost, I definitely thought about putting them even higher. There just wasn't quite enough certainty even for me. And that just speaks, I think, to how good these top two defenses are that we're having a conversation about putting Georgia third on defense on like any list. So who's your two? My two is Alabama. They did lose Patrick Sertan and Christian Barmore, but on the back end, I mean, Josh Joe, Malachi Moore, Jordan Battle. I mean, that is that is freakish. That that is 
probably the best threesome of, of secondary players that there is in college football. Uh, at linebacker, they did lose production, so they just went and got Tennessee's standout linebacker, Henry To'o To'o, right? Like, they were just like, <laughs> what if we just added one of the best linebackers in college football just because, just you know, just because. And uh, and they do have other guys, Christopher Allen, Will Anderson, like, they've got guys. The big question, and, and it's not even a question, right? They, they recruit so well and they develop so well and they have such a track record at this position, right? Because that's what I look for more than anything is like, recruiting's nice. I want to see track record of production and development. And Alabama does that in spades on the defensive line. Uh, they need a guy to step up. They've got a lot of guys who have played they have a lot of guys who have gotten after the quarterback. They need to kind of become an elite unit at that position. But just because of all the depth that they have, the contributors that they had, I'm not too concerned about that. And they've been a top-level defense without that the past couple of years. So if they're able to get that back as well, I mean, the, the sky's the limit for this unit. Yeah, I, I also have them second. Their, their linebackers are... Like unbelievable yeah. to add Henry To'o To'o to what they already had. Uh, according to Mel Kuyper's big board, Christian Harris is the number one inside linebacker. Henry To'o To'o is the number four inside linebacker, and then Will Anderson was the uh, FWAA freshman of the year last year. <laughs> and and like that's who you're putting on the field at linebacker. I think Josh Job and Jordan Battle are two physical, smart playmaking but also reliable guys on the back end that you can like absolutely build a defense around they come up and stop the run battle is going to read quarterback's eyes and make plays on the ball like they have some dangerous dudes on the back end and then they did lose christian barmore but like they have enough they have enough to make up for it and one of the most interesting guys is lebrian ray who was if you look in the class of 2017 Alabama had 10 recruits in the class of 2017, okay? Seven of those 10 have been first-round picks in the NFL draft already. One was a second-round pick already. So eight of the 10, first or second round. One of them is Dylan Moses, who's a really good player who got hurt and then didn't get picked at all last year when people thought he would. And the other is LeBron Ray, who's left. That was what his talent level was. He's battled injuries. He's only played 31 games in four years. But he's like a five-star fifth-year guy just sort of waiting for a chance and like Saban's into him, right? It's one of those things that a place like Alabama, you're running guys through all the time, three years and out, three years and out, three years and out. Like a guy like that, like if he hits, which he very well might, if he's, if he's healthy for the first time, had foot injuries early, had an elbow injury last year. Like, it's like, oh, who's your, uh, how you happen to replace uh, Barmore there? It's like, ah, we got this fifth-year five-star guy who's never been healthy, but if he is healthy, might be the best defensive lineman in the country. It's like, cool, cool, cool. Good luck, Nick. Like, that's just what Bama does. They did lose some guys. Again, Sertan, you don't duplicate him. But there's a lot there. And, and they aren't replacing quite as much as Georgia. Yeah, I, I think just to close out Alabama, uh, if anyone wonders, just if anyone's ever curious why Alabama recruits well, uh, go back and listen to what Doug just said about how many guys they just sent to the first round. That's why people go to Alabama. <laughs> Thought about them at one. Thought about it. But did not do it. I also had him second, and we both have Clemson number one. Why do we have Clemson number one, Sean? So I think people might remember a couple years ago when they won uh, those national titles, their defensive line was freakish. Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, that type of level, right? And 
for the first time, maybe in college football since then, I think that they have a comparable defensive line to that, which which is just stupid, by the way, to be able to have that multiple times. But uh, listen, Brian Brisset, former, uh, I believe, number one player in the country. Yep. Miles Murphy, tremendous player. Xavier Thomas. Number seven player in the country in the same class. They're both sophomores, number one, number seven uh, players in their class. Man, what is it like? What is it like to recruit like that? And Xavier Thomas also being a guy off the edge. I mean, th- this is this is crazy. This is Nobody in college football has anything like this. And there are a lot of good defensive linemen in college football, but Clemson has the best ones. And then on the back end, I mean, Nolan Turner, Andrew Booth, like these are also potentially NFL guys. These are potentially All-American guys. And then a linebacker, they just bring back everybody. James Skalski still plays college football. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he's my age. I'm pretty sure that he might be older than me. I think I remember him uh, growing up, you know, but James Skalski uh, back again uh, and, and the thing that I love about what Clemson does on defense, I think that they've done a tremendous job of identifying how they want to build their system. They have this mix of, you know, kind of what I, in a way what I talked about with Iowa State, they have this mix of like super elite players and then just a bunch of guys who are good at their job and they mix them together. And it's just, it's crazy. It's tremendous. I mean, and then you add, obviously, the Brent Venables effect to the mix. I know that we had the question a few weeks ago, is Brent Venables losing his touch? No, no, I'm not concerned that Brent Venables is losing his touch. And so you just have so much talent at every level of the defense. You have, again, I mean, out of these defensive linemen, I mean, all three, I think, could potentially be first round NFL draft picks. This is how good this unit is. And the other thing that I'll mention, too, is that they're going to be relied on a lot early in the mm-hmm. year. You do have a great quarterback in, in DJ, but I think that at least early in the year, especially like in that Georgia game, when early in your ACC schedule, when the offense is still coming along, the fact that you can rely on this defense to just shut down other teams, it's, it's the ultimate advantage. I think when you're close on stuff, Venables is a tiebreaker. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think there are other great, you know, Mike Elko at Texas A&M, people love him, right? People think he's doing a great job. And like, it's not Alex Grinch. A lot of people are really in on Alex Grinch and waiting for him to get a head coaching job at Oklahoma. Nobody's like Venables. Nobody's like Venables in terms of, as you said, knowing exactly what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, recruiting to that. And again, they were doing it at the beginning without five-star recruits. Now they're getting five-star recruits. I I thought about it in three levels. Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy, again, are like five-star dudes in their second years. They were both like freshman All-Americans last year. Like great starts, could be All-Americans, regular All-Americans this year. Then James Skalski and Nolan Turner, I was almost thinking to myself, like, oh, 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 like James Skalski's back. I was like, what? Six-year super seniors, right? At middle linebacker and at safety that are just like absolute like pillars of your defense. So they're four years older then Brzee and Murphy. Like, that's there's six-year guys versus second-year guys. And then two year, two guys you mentioned, Tyler Davis at defensive tackle, Andrew Booth at corner. They're both third-year guys. Booth is Mel Kuyper's number three cornerback on his big board. Davis is the number four defensive tackle on Kuyper's big board. So those are more like normal guys, right? Those are like third-year guys that are just supposed to be good. So they got the superstar young guys. They've got the oldest guys that are in college football. And then they've got the normal guys. They just had, those are six dudes. They're all first team, all AC. They had six players on the, on first team, all ACC defense. It's those six guys. And it covers every base. It covers all three levels of the defense. It covers, 
young and explosive and old and reliable and everything in between. And it is just a defense that is set up for excellence this year. And again, I I think there are teams that can, you know, Georgia at its best, Bam at its best. But man, there's not, you said there are some teams that have some holes, right? Clemson seems to have it all covered defensively. Let's do this. Let's wrap up our rankings. Not a lot of disagreement. We're not going to disagree for fake. We're just going to disagree for real when we do it. We didn't really do it much this week. We both had Clemson number one on the list of best defenses among the contenders. Both had Bama two. Both had Georgia three. A little bit of a disagreement only on four and five. Shahan went Iowa State, Texas A&M. I went Texas A&M, Iowa State. We both had Oklahoma six. We both had Ohio State seven. I'm a little surprised. No, I'm not surprised. I thought there was enough. I thought the top three were close enough, Shahan, that we might disagree. But you agreed with me. Good job. Smart. Smart decision to do the same thing I did. No, I just think there, there, it's a coin flip. And, and almost everybody in the country, PFF, those are the top three defenses in the country coming into the year. Most people that you talk to, that's that's who they are. That's who like the best the best defenses in the country are. Cincinnati's good. Right there's some other defenses that might slip in there, but this is these are people who know how to play defense and have the talent to do it. All right, we're going to wrap up with our personal question of the day. I don't know what Shahan has planned. We'll do that next on the College Football Playoff Show. Doug Lamarie, Shahan Jeharaja, eight one seven four four two six seven eight nine. Shahan, we'd like to ask each other questions so the people can learn about us as we learn about each other. What you got? So, growing up, who was a player that you loved to hate? Who was a player that I loved to hate? Probably Larry Bird. Because, again, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, I was a Sixers fan. The Sixers and the Celtics had great playoff series in the 80s. The Celtics won them more often than not. A big Andrew Tony guy, the Boston Strangler, loved that dude. Was a big deal when the Sixers got over the top in 83. But Larry Bird, man, I'll tell you what. If Larry Bird's your guy, great. If Larry Bird is not your guy, that guy was like a cocky SOB. Like the whole thing about he just plays a game left-handed for the heck of it. Like he's he just drops a, 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 a three-pointer in your face and tells you about it. Like, not cool, Larry. Not cool. So, uh, and and always in your way. Just like we talk about, like, with when there's a team that's always in another team's way, Boston was always in the way of the Philadelphia 76ers. So take that, Larry. How about you? My answer is actually very similar. So I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. It's a long story. Short of it is, I guess, I, I was born in Chicago, even though I grew up completely in Texas, and I did not want to be a Dallas sports fan because I hated the Cowboys. But uh, all that to say... LeBron James just ruined our freaking life. I think that it was like five out of like seven years he knocked us out of the playoffs. And it was just because it's one of those things, right? Because you look at those Cleveland teams back in the day and it's just like these teams aren't that good. But LeBron is just so good. He's just so much better than everybody else. And he went to the Heat, did it there, went back to Cleveland, did it there. It was so frustrating. Now, I will say I have 
totally come around on LeBron as I've gotten older. Like I'm, I'm a big fan now. Uh, and you know, I, especially now that he's getting up there, I feel like I can appreciate greatness now in a way that obviously when you're growing up and you know, when you're watching your team lose to him, you can't as much, but Oh man, he, he ruins, he ruins so many of my days, man. So many of my days. Sports hate is a sign of respect. Yes. Absolutely. Right. That is like, that's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, I don't think we're hurting the feelings. No of LeBron James and Larry Bird by saying this. It's like, good. They're glad that we hate them because they beat the teams that we cared about. All right, that's the college football playoff show. Get subscribed. If you're listening and you're not subscribed, like get to hit the subscribe button, right? On Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. 4.9 out of 5 on the Apple Podcast reviews. Uh, Again, we just got to get people to try it. So again, if you like it, it's like, hey, tell your friend, hey, there's this new podcast with Shahanje Haraja and some old guy. Listen to it. They they do kind of something that not everybody breaks it down the same way. It's a little, you know, a little light, a little snappy. Help us. Help us. Please help us. Give us money on the texts and then be our personal PR agents. What we always we're putting it on you. If you're gonna ride with us, we want you. Ride with us, but we're gonna ask a lot. We're gonna ask you to do surveys. We're gonna ask you to help inform our conversation. That's how we do it. This is not a, you don't just get to bop in and like, like, you're one of, you're with us. We want you with us. Let's do this. Let's get through this college football season together. 817-442-6789 is the number. Send a text there. Get signed up. Get subscribed. We will be back next week with another Q&A episode, with another episode discussing should a team get into the playoff mix or not, and camps are a starting. So we're going to start gathering even more information as teams get out on the practice field. For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks to you guys for listening. That was the College Football Playoff Show.